America is diverse in its residential landscapes. City living to suburbs, condos and apartments, and of course, trailer parks. And because of their layout and who lives there, they bore witness to some madness and mayhem over the years, the likes of which you won't find anywhere else. Here are five unsettling stories from America's trailer parks. Number five, the monster of Northway. An acquaintance and a family friend. A man named Michael Plumador committed an unforgivable crime against the very family who entrusted their safety and wellness in his care. A shocking tale of savagery began on December 22, 2011 at Northway Mobile Home Park, a trailer park in Fort Wayne, Indiana. On that day, 39-year-old Plumador was looking after Aliana Moroni Lemon and her six-year-old sister because their mother was sick. He was a trusted family friend who had been looking after Aliana's dying grandfather, James Lemon. Even after the 66-year-old's death a few months prior, Plumador had stayed at the trailer home and took it upon himself to babysit and take care of the kids during this tough time. However, for reasons still unknown, on that morning, while nine-year-old Aliana was sitting on the front porch, Michael decided to pick up a brick laying nearby and smash it over the child's head. In his eventual confession, the killer recounted how he repeatedly struck Aliana, resulting in her almost instantaneous death. When he was finished, he loaded her up into a large trash bag before storing her in a freezer until nightfall. Then late that evening, Plumador used a hacksaw to cut it up into several pieces. Some he left inside the freezer, but he took a bunch of the parts down to the local Marathon gas station looking for a dumpster to toss them into. The plan was to get rid of the body piece by piece, but he was careless and the police soon came looking for the girl that's when they found Aliana's head, hands, and feet inside its place. Plumador had previously been convicted for a plethora of other crimes, including trespassing and assault. He and Aliana's grandfather, Matten, later became close friends when they were both detained in a correctional center. Mr. Lemon himself was a registered offender. He was in close connection with 14 other child offenders living in that same trailer park where poor Aliana and her siblings were raised. And Plumador was consequently sentenced to life in prison for the crime. Though justice was served, the profound impact of Aliana's tragic death remains a shocking reminder on how important environment is in entrusting the safety of children as they grow up. Number 4. Granny Killer In most cases, residents of trailer parks don't have the same legal protection compared to what traditional homeowners often benefit from. Considering the close proximity of each abode, community members often become more vulnerable to exploitation, abuse, and even murder. The case in point is this story of a poor grandma in San Diego, California, who suffered the unthinkable at the hands of her own grandson. Donna Chatterfield had raised her grandson Raymond from the time he was a baby. 
But the boy had his struggles, and so consequently, so did Donna. For most of his young life, Raymond had been on medication to treat his psychological and behavioral problems. They did the best they could, but they could never seem to get things under control. By the age of 20, Raymond then had started taking a strong dose of antipsychotic medication. And it was also around this time when the young man began incurring criminal offenses. Most of his record consists of multiple drug charges. However, his behavior progressively worsened with time. He would go on to get in trouble for physically assaulting his own Nana. In 2007, she filed her first restraining order against Raymond after he suddenly grabbed her and hit her in the face. She suffered bruises and a chipped tooth from that incident, which took place at their home in the Ade Mesa Mobile Home Park in Rancho Chula Vista, San Diego. By 2013, as he couldn't get his mental health in check, Raymond just gave up on it all and stopped taking his medications altogether. And that was the biggest mistake of his life. Soon after he began to lose control, he would scream wildly and talk nonsense. He once made a claim that he was Jesus and that he killed five people when he was just five years old. Physical altercations were still common, and driven by fear, Donna once again sought the court's help to reinstate a restraining order against the younger Chatterfield. Things quieted down for a while, that is until April of 2015, when he got out from jail after being detained for a separate charge. One night, a resident at the Rancho Chula Vista trailer park heard a commotion at one of the homes and they called 911. When officers arrived, there they found a man and an elderly woman suffering from multiple stab wounds. The victims were Donna and Raymond's uncle, Kenneth, both died before they could even be taken to the hospital. Investigators were immediately tipped off about Raymond's presence in the area. They followed the lead and found the suspect at a restaurant, his hands still covered in blood. In the subsequent trial, the presiding judge ruled the perpetrator mentally incompetent. As a result, he was sent to a state hospital, where he was interred for treatment until his competency was restored. When, or even if that will ever happen, is yet to be seen. Number 3. Trailing Darkness. The Gary Ray Bowles Story. Serial killers typically hold distorted and irrational outlooks on the world which they use to help justify their violent acts. One such killer was Gary Ray Bowles. Known as the I-95 Killer or the Highway Killer, Bowles was a serial killer who operated in the United States during the early to mid-1990s. He was convicted of killing at least six men from across multiple states found along the I-95 corridor. Born in 1962 in Clifton Forge, Virginia, Bowles grew up in a chaotic home where his alcoholic stepfather would often abuse him, his brothers, and their mother. At 13, he finally fought back, severely injuring his stepfather. Shortly after that, he had had enough and ran away. So from there on out, he lived a very transient lifestyle. This included living in a trailer park where, according to reports, 
he committed some of his criminal acts. It wasn't entirely known what kickstarted Bowles' thirst for killing, but once he started, he didn't stop. The chilling details of his deed show an enjoyment out of blood and violence. In May of 1994, Gary, who had been prostituting himself to men, met John Roberts at a bar in Daytona Beach. He took the man back to his apartment under the pretext of engaging in a sexual encounter. However, once inside, Gary began to brutally beat the 59-year-old with all sorts of objects, as if he were testing out what they could do. A metal rod and a baseball bat before ultimately strangling him with a lamp cord. After that, the killer fled the scene with the victim's credit card and car. A month later, in Jacksonville, Florida, Bowles stalked David Jarman, a man whom he had previously been acquainted with. He pretended to be a handyman in order to get inside Jarman's apartment. And then, similar to what he did a month before, Gary attacked the 39-year-old with a blunt object and strangled him with a towel. With his victim dead, the perpetrator then ransacked the apartment and stole valuable items before fleeing. Realizing now the police were looking for him, the vagabond sex worker fled to Georgia, where in July that same year, he met Milton Bradley at a gay bar. Having gained the 72-year-old's trust, he was able to let himself get into the old man's apartment. Again, for no apparent reason other than to do it, Bowles attacked the man, beating him to death with a concrete block. Following his M.O., the killer proceeded to steal the deceased's credit cards and car. In that same state, he also found his fourth victim, Alverson Carter Jr., whom he offered to help move. He then bludgeoned the unsuspecting Carter with a cinder block. He seemed to like the effectiveness of that tool. After that, he took all the guy's personal belongings after the killing. Bulls moved north along I-95 towards Maryland, where in September, he killed Albert Morris by striking him with a concrete block multiple times. By this time, investigators already began linking the murders along the corridor to an individual that they had nicknamed the I-95 Killer. His last confirmed victim was Walter Hinton. The 47-year-old was found struck in the head with, you guessed it, a cinder block and his valuables were stolen. With the cops close on his heels, Bowles was eventually captured. In 1999, he received the death penalty for the brutal murder of those six people. However, many believe that the number could be higher, considering the staggering number of unaccounted deaths along the doomed highway. Gary was executed by lethal injection in August of 2019 at the age of 57. Number two, cramped trailer home trouble. Most trailer park homes are intended to comfortably fit at most three to four people. Any number larger than that and things are getting real cramped, which could cause some tension in the home. Guy Hines Jr. lived with eight other people in a mobile home and things didn't turn out well. All throughout his life, Heinz Jr. had to endure such an uncomfortable living condition at their single-wide mobile home in Glynn County, Georgia. 
Many believe, and this could be the root of the devastating event that befell the entire Heinz Toller family. On August 29, 2009, police received a distress call about multiple murders that had occurred at the New Hope Mobile Home Park. Upon their arrival, the authorities went into Guy's mobile home where they were confronted with a gnarly sight. There were eight people dead. Guy's father, Heinz Sr., his uncle, Rusty Toller Sr., and six other victims, three of whom were part of his family, and three who were friends of the Tollers. Considering there were eight people, you'd expect it to be a shooting spree type of situation, but instead, all of them had been beaten to death. Autopsy results indicated that they all died from a total of more than 200 shattering blows to their heads, necks, and bodies. Meanwhile, Guy's three-year-old half-sister suffered severe head trauma, but luckily survived. Authorities believed a shotgun barrel was used by the perpetrator. Interestingly, the murder weapon was never fired or recovered. Heinz Jr. was initially considered another possible victim, but investigators later took him into custody as a suspect when he revealed to them that he was the one who discovered the bodies. He also said that he first tried to revive the victims before calling 911, hence the suspicion. Didn't help either that while in the interrogation room, the suspect had been inconsistent with his recount of the incident, and he was subsequently detained and charged with eight counts of murder. In 2013, during his trial, prosecutors argued that the accused had committed the murders in a fit of rage over dispute over prescription drugs. He believed that his family members were conspiring against him. At the time of the crime, Hines was suspected to be high on crack cocaine. The other victims who suffered the same grim fate just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. In October of 2013, Hines Jr. was found guilty on all eight counts and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. This case attracted significant public attention due to the shocking nature of the crime, as well as the circumstances surrounding it. Considering that all the victims died at around the same time, many believe that there could be at least two other attackers who helped Hines commit the gruesome massacre. Number 1. Joe the Cannibal Methany Joe Metheny has admitted to killing at least 10 people, though only about half of the number was credited to his name. However, it was what he did with the bodies of the confirmed victims that was the most nauseating aspect of his reign as the cannibal. His tale of evil exploits started back in the summer of 1994, when Joe was still living in South Baltimore, Maryland, working as a truck driver. His life took a dark turn when his crack-addicted wife left him all of a sudden and took their young son with her. Fueled by rage and desperation, the six-foot big boy embarked on a nightmarish spree of murder and violence. Six months after he made countless inquiries, he found out that his ex-wife had been living under a bridge at the Patapsco River together with an unknown man. Upon hearing this, he immediately went to the location and instead found two random homeless people 
whom he mercilessly chopped down with an axe. On that same day, he lured two sex workers whom he suspected to be acquainted with his runaway wife, and they also suffered the same fate. As he was about to dump the bodies under the bridge, there he saw a lonely man fishing by the river, and he too was beaten up and killed. In the span of just seven hours, Metheny had killed five people. Eventually, he took the investigators to the spot where he dumped all the bodies. However, they couldn't find their remains, so they couldn't charge him with anything there. Metheny's crimes escalated in their brutality after that. In a confession, he told police that in 1995, he lured prostitutes to his trailer park home, which was situated inside the compound of the company that he worked for. After subjecting the women to unspeakable horrors, the former forklift operator killed Kathy McGaziner and Kimberly Spicer by stabbing them with a knife. At that time, he was also operating a small open-pit barbecue business near the company compound. What he did after the killing is nothing short of horrifying. According to court records, after partially eating some of his victims' parts, he went on to grind up the rest of the remains and mix them with pork and beef meat, then sold them as sandwiches to his unsuspecting patrons. These revelations unveiled the truth behind his nickname, the Cannibal. His eventual capture came in 1996, when in that year he kidnapped and brutally assaulted another prostitute named Rita Kemper. By some miracle, he managed to escape from her captor's trailer and alerted the authorities of what had happened. During his trial, Metheny exhibited a nasty lack of remorse, boldly claiming that he had enjoyed every bit of the murderous acts he committed. He added that if he had any regret, it would only be his failure to track down and kill his estranged wife. He was sentenced to life in jail with no possibility of parole, in 2017, Maryland corrections officials reported that Joe Metheny, the infamous cannibal, had finally died at the age of 62 by some unknown cause. So there were five unsettling stories from America's trailer parks. A big thank you to all our podcast supporters. Thank you all so much for subscribing, for the extra content. It means a lot to us. If anyone wants to join for more content each week, links are down in the description. Either way, thanks so much for tuning in today. I'll see you guys soon.